welcome to the Museum Revealed podcast, brought to you by the Queensland Museum Network. Join me, Dr. Rob Bell, as we chat to the people that make museums so fascinating, from curators to scientists and researchers. It's a deep dive into conversations with these storytellers that inspire us to be curious about our past, make sense of the present, and help us consider the future. And right now, I am joined by Dr. Robert Raven. So it's a sort of Robin Rob show, I guess, in a little way. And you're probably best known for all of your work with spiders. So tell me, what's your official title here at the museum? Oh, I think I'm somewhere between Spider-Man, um, uh, Chief of Head of Biodiversity, Terrestrial Biodiversity, and Principal Scientist in Arachnology. But I'm basically the arachnologist, one of the arachnologists here. There's about six of us, actually. And arachnids are not just spiders, are they? Although they're probably what most no, people associate no, with No, they're eight-legged creatures. So everything from that little mite that's feeding on the fat at the base of your hair follicles... Excellent. ...right up to the big tarantulas and that feed on bats as they fly past them on the trees. And it's, it's an area that I think a lot of people find fascinating. Um, a lot of people don't like spiders for one reason or another. They're obviously a pretty crucial part of our our world and our biodiversity. Um, and you have a somewhat peculiar relationship with spiders. Well, you're obviously fascinated by them. You've studied them for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing was that I was associated with some friends who were very, very good bird watchers. They were in the 600 Club, which is getting to the maximum number of birds you can get in wow. Australia. And I learnt that I'd seen a bird, but I couldn't replace, remember what it was. And I thought, you have to figure out something to help you get through the university courses, which were boring me def def desperately. Um, and I thought about it and I thought, you have an, an irrational fear of a spider being on your arm. Now, those spiders are through us, all around us at the mm -hmm. moment. Not that particular one, perhaps, but there are spiders <laughs> all around us. So, and, and it was quite interesting because, you know, after I'd studied them for a while and tried to command this fear, I discovered from time to time that I still have it. It's just when it, the guard's down, you know, I'd be walking around with like a honey jar full of alcohol on my hand at night with, with, a, with a couple of trapdoors and a funnel web or two in the jar and the next minute, this is in swimming in 70% alcohol, and the next minute the, the funnel web climbed out of the jar onto my hand, I could feel this wet thing and I just flung my hand to kingdom Ooh. come, dropped the jar and sat down and counted my pulse for a while. But it was just very interesting because I realised and subsequently I've had a similar sort of event in the desert, you know, collecting all day and night and then get into the tent. It's a great place to find a spider within a meter, you know, centimetre or two of your face. Nowhere to go there. <laughs> Big span, you know, and it's the sort of thing that causes, you know, death, deaths on roads, you know, that kind oh. of thing. So flip down the visor. So, yeah, the, the fear is still there. I know when I've, um, when I've got a cold or something, then I'm a bit under the weather, then I can't deal with it. And also, I was lying in bed the other night and looked up and saw a huntsman and said, no, sorry, you can't stay there while I go to sleep. That's not going to work. So I had to get up and get it down, which takes a little bit of power. The shield goes up and, and it works out, yeah. So it's, it's facing my fears. And as I try to point out to a lot of people, there aren't many capital cities in the world that I haven't been to as part of my work. Now, there's a cross-benefit to facing your fears, you know. I've been to most of these places because there are Australian spiders or something important in those places. So, And I've been funded, you know, by federal governments to do this kind of thing, so it's been great. Well, I think, I think that's amazing and certainly something for aspiring scientists and arachnologists out there to keep in mind, the, the amount of places that you can get to go to exactly. do yep. what you're passionate exactly. about. Exactly, yeah. So I'd like to talk about a few different spiders. Probably we'll focus on some of the Australian ones a little bit. Um, the, the funnel web you mentioned is probably one of Australia's more 
famous scientists, spiders for want of a better way to put it. Um, it's always a bit of a competition if you Google these days. There's always lists of, you know, the most venomous this, the most dangerous that. Is the funnel web the most venomous? Is, I guess it's got the most toxic venom. Is that the best way to put it? Or It has. Um, that we had a situation a few years back where Guinness Book of Records had something else down, a Brazilian uh, wandering spot. Oh, yeah, okay, yep. And I double-checked my information, and then I wrote to them. I said, you know, however dangerous the venom may be by micro-drop or whatever, it certainly hasn't matched the actual fatality rate. So they changed that to the, you know, the pharmaceutically most active venom. Interesting. Um, so yeah, the, the Australian funnel webs are documented to have killed 13 people, and the same with the redbacks, different, different reasons. Uh, now, far most, people, most people would think those numbers are low. I mean, they, they hear a funnel web and they think, oh, they're deadly, they kill people, but it's actually... Very, very low. Yeah, 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 really yeah very low. low. And it hasn't, nothing on the funnel web side has happened since 1960, I think, mm. yeah, or 1980 when they actually okay. came up with the yep. venom. The venom of the redback was 60s, yeah. So, yeah, the people have been treated and successfully come through. So you've got the Guinness Book of World Records to change their records? Yeah, I had told you, them the facts. You showed them and the facts. And I science. assumed that they would respond accordingly, and they did, yeah. Excellent. So how how is it then that they measure? Is it on that number called an LD50, is that what they use to measure the toxicity or is that where it gets a little bit... That's the one that, and that's the one that works. Can you explain what LD50 means? Yeah, well, LD50 is the, the lethal dose re required to kill half of the peep animals injected. So, sure. Um, and the thing is that, um, you know, we, we are quite big, handsome organisms, right? Of course. But if you get a funnel web to bite a mouse, nothing happens to it. Huh. Cats and dogs play with them and have no reaction at all. So it's, it's just primates. Ah. It's just primates, those of us with opposable thumbs that have lost some sort of ability to metabolise the venom. The funnel web venom was developed many millions of years ago to deal with a completely innocuous vegetarian called the millipede. And what it does to the millipede is it stops it inject spraying out this high like cyanide-like toxin, which would kill the funnel web. So it's got to paralyse the millipede, and to us it does the exact opposite. It causes fibrillation, trembling of the heart and lung, and all of the organs, and we simply drown in our own fluid. So it's it's danger to us is essentially kind of just a weird quirk of evolution that we just happen to fit into that yes. profile. <laughs> the primates were around when it evolved. Wow. It's just purely accident. There's these beautiful big things called land mullets, these lizards, and we've got photographs of these things hunting male funnel webs, which is the most dangerous sex. Um, so we know that they're, they're completely um, harmless to those things and they eat them and so on. So it's, you know, dogs, cats, they, so the, the LD50 then can't be tested except on a primate. Yes, good point. Not a nice thing and to do And we don't want to do days. that, no. So, so tell me, when they make the anti-venom, you mentioned the anti-venom for these sort of things, is that where they use, is that the horses that they use to, to well, make that or some sort of large creature that they can... have They have used horses. Well, that's no longer um, That was the redback, mostly. Oh, okay, they redback. were using the horses for, but the problem is that um, tetanus was also, the, the injection we get for tetanus was also extracted from horses. Uh -huh. So that there's already horse protein in the system. When we get a second hit from the redback, for example, then the first thing that hospitals have to do when they, before they do that is they put you in intensive care in case you have anaphylactic shock to the double hit of, of horse serum. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a delicate process. And so they switch to sheep, uh -huh. I think, with the redbacks now. So they're effectively um, using their immune response to help us. Is that how it works? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's a very low dose. I yep, think we of get. Course, yeah. 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 But um, 
things like the odd thing with the redback is that it'll affect just about anything. You know, forget it oh, okay. from, from toads right through to horses. It's just the horse is a big animal and it doesn't have such an effect. Well, they just yep. toned the toes down for the redbacks, yeah, for okay. the uh, for the cheap. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, there's something else, and I still get asked this quite a bit, so let's um, see if we can confirm or deny the myth when we're talking about venoms. Uh, Daddy long legs. Venomous or not venomous? Well, most spiders are venomous. Okay. There's uh, almost no doubt that all spiders are venomous, but the thing is most of the venoms are not particularly harmful to us. And in many, many, many cases, spiders simply don't bite. Mm -hmm. Now, if, you, if I had a funnel web on the table, just a little trap on the table and this thing reared up into the attack position, it's just so a crazy animal. Yep. And there's a couple of them like that. So that these things have the A, the interest in biting, and B, the venom to, to do it. They don't know that. No, no. That's and in, in many of the cases with these guys, with the funnel webs, when they actually rear their front up, their eyes are on the top of the head, so they're looking away from the source. See what they're doing. It's, it's reacting to vibrations. So the the thing about the the, the daddy long legs, it's one. Of, I think one of the great American presidents said that the the truth is barely out of the barn before the rumours got around the world. Yes. And I believe it was a Boy Scout leader in Cairns on one April Fool's Day who let the joke go, uh, and he couldn't bring it back. No, it, it was, was gone. gone. So they. When, when, when Europe gets locked down like this or they get into winter, they get totally bored and they have to do as much as they can in the labs. And so they've studied the animals that live around them to death. And one of the ones was Daddy Longlegs. They just, they've, they've, actually, um, they've actually frozen male and female Daddy Longlegs in copulae to see how everything works. <laughs> oh, you know, wow. They're just so intensely studied. And the venom came out totally boring. So nothing to it to us at all. So they totally harm. But they do. They do have some venom. Um, they do. Do they have sufficient um, fangs to actually? They do. Skin? But the problem is that they have an unusual fang arrangement where they have a tooth up opposite the fang, so it can't actually open as wide as we would think. They they we have got instances of reports or claims of, of bites from them, and there are some really big daddy longlegs, certainly in the west, mm. not an Australian one, but um, and I you know but again the issue is. How did you get them to bite? I mean, you you know you have to really ram your finger oh, look, in look, there. I've, get a, a narrow space. I've in. picked them up lots of times, and all they try and do is get away from That's me, right. which is understandable. Yeah, and lose I'm half a, their legs a in the huge process. Creature. Yes. So what what is their prey? What do they go after? Well, they'll take just about anything. I mean, okay. they're after little crickets and and uh, ants and beetles and sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, spiders include a group of animals which are amazing, and they can take on something as as you know, basically hard boned as an ant. And, and extract the goodness out of the little bits that are still in there. So sort of just, yeah, suck the insides yeah, out essentially. they, they and basically vomit into the, the animal Ooh, and then liquefy the contents and then suck that all back out. They have a beard in front of their mouth, a bit like a bikey's beard, take out the bigger particles because they can't swallow bigger particles. So and sort of strain, digest the, it. strain the ant soup that they've just created. We don't want any of those funny legs and sharp <laughs> points going down well, our stomachs. Well, no, you just want the... It's goodness. a liquid stomach. Yeah. Inside the ant yeah. or the cricket or whatever you're going yeah. for. Look, this is all fascinating stuff. Um, join us shortly as we get more about spiders from their webs to some of their stranger sexual habits. Located in the heart of Brisbane's cultural precinct at Southbank, Queensland Museum is home to the state collection of biodiversity, geosciences, cultures and histories. Along with a diverse program of exhibitions that tell the stories of Queensland's natural history, cultural heritage, science and human achievement. To find out more, you can visit qm.qld.gov.au. Welcome back to Museum Revealed Podcast. We are chatting to Dr. Robert Raven and we are talking about spiders, um, his favourite subject because he is the director of arachnology here, which is sort of spiders and other eight-legged creatures. 
Um, I want to talk now a little bit about spider webs. There's not a person out there, I imagine, that hasn't walked through one at some point, and I'm guessing they're there for the spider to catch their prey. Now, not all spiders make webs, is that correct? They all have the ability to make silk oh, okay. of some kind. Okay, yep. Some of them don't actually use the web to catch with. Some of them just use them as a space to live in. Oh, okay. So trapdoor, the funnel webs, often mm -hmm. uh, they they most of the space that they live in is down under the ground. Of course, yeah. But they have thread lines coming out at the top, which gives them some degree of so, sort of increases their sensory area where they yes, can detect animals coming through. Yeah. So, um, but most of them have web. Web was the function that they they developed and makes them spiders. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Now, spider silk is not all the same either it is. So people think of a typical spider web, for example, sitting up in a tree, maybe with a dewdrop sitting on it. There's two different sorts of silk in there. Well, maybe more, but I, I know I've been told that this is the answer to why spiders don't get stuck in their own webs, is that some of it's stickier and some is not. Is that correct or is that an oversimplification? That, that is an oversimplification. I mean, the, the ones that build a circular web, what they do is that they have some web, which is some silk, which is structural, but mm -hmm. not sticky. Okay. And then after they've built that structural thing, and then they put the sticky spiral in afterwards. So, so the spiral it's tends to be the stickier process. part. And, and that's the, the sticky process. The, the guidelines, the ones that go out to the trees, tend not to be as sticky. The jury's still out on why they don't stick to their own webs. Okay. Why, what we do know is that if you put um, you on my web, then you'll get stuck, ah. even if it's the same species. So huh. it's it may be a geography kind of thing. Interesting. Um, they know where the, the structures are and so on. Um, but yeah, there. I mean, there are different kinds of silk. I mean, the ones that we see that's most spectacular are the the silk that they use to wrap the the egg sacs in. Some of them mm. come up a mottled colour, oh. you know, and should be all the same silk. But there are different kinds of silk that are feeding out for these sorts of things. So, quite a few different kinds of silk. And one of the things that we've been hearing about a lot is that you know people have been trying to genetically engineer it or make spider it. silk. Yep, yeah, and a... it's a very difficult process because the thing is that. When silk is extruded, it comes out as a liquid, and it goes through a very, 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 very mm -hmm. tiny pore. Little spinnerets there. Yeah, the well, the spinnerets are the big bits, oh, and there's right. pores on those. Oh, okay. Um, tiny little pores, and when they pull on that liquid, it turns into a strand. It's mm -hmm. under pressure that it actually becomes a silk. No wonder we can't thread. replicate. And there are many pieces to it. You know, it's amazing to see some of the garden orbs, and you take one and hang her against a light, and you'll see this billow of silk coming out of her. Huh. So that they're absolutely amazing with the amount that they produce and the amount that they can produce. So very interesting kind of thing. One of the things that they did discover not that long ago was that um, I always thought that when at the end of the day when the spider's finished with the, or the end of the morning, end of the night when she's finished with the web, she pulls it down. And, and in that process, she should get all the little insects and things that she wouldn't deal with one yep. by one. Um, and, you know, she'll get a bit of pollen as well. And that... that was go, goes without saying, but the other thing which we didn't know was that they were actually digesting the silk, but not actually doing anything to it. Oh. They radioactively tagged it and found that that silk was coming out the spinneret huh. end within 20 minutes. Whoa. Wow, how does that work? There must be some amazing kind of shunt that's taking this special molecule and passing it so all the way So they're not using through. it as a food source, they're actually just yeah, recycling no. it. Yeah, yeah, huh. straight recycling. So once it's made, it's you know highly advantageous to keep it without you know, going through that big energy cycle. Well, yeah, it would save so, them an enormous yeah, amount of energy. Yeah, yeah. Doing it that so way. Somehow they... I, I, I don't vouch for the science, but I believe it's good. So, yeah, yep. no, that, that's, that's incredible. Um, now, I, I guess we, we should probably mention, and people might have already sort of guessed, but the reason 
that people are trying so hard to genetically engineer spider silk is not because they want to make massive spider webs, but it's got some pretty incredible properties, I suppose, and that's what we want to try and replicate maybe on a it larger scale. It makes fantastic dresses. Well, there I've, is a dress out there. I have, I have seen a photo yep. of one. Was it made from golden orbs or Madagascan yep. golden yep. orbs or yep. something like yep. that? Thousands and thousands there. I think the, the big thing that they wanted to try and do is to make it as a replacement for... Um, fabrics like Kevlar. Oh, okay. So something so, that's strong but flexible? Yes. And one of the things that we heard about for a long time was that the military, US military, was involved and in, interested in trying to do this and and uh, they got to some degree along the way. But one of the things that most housewives have probably figured out already that there's a solution to this, and it, the word is solution, because um, when you get the redback spider building in those lovely little uh, cane chairs... Getting in there is just about impossible to clean them out. So you just take a light bleach solution and spray it through and the silk will all disappear. Uh-huh. Even the silk around the egg sac will dis- dissolve uh-huh. and allow the ants to get in and the spiders will dry out. So all you would need to, if you had a beautiful spider silk vest to protect you, all you'd need is a cap of bleach uh-huh. in front of it and just that would be it. dissolve it away. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. No good. So not no. so much to that after Long all. Long way to go yet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, every now and then when I've seen a spider web too, I've noticed... What looks to me at least like multiple spiders, sometimes the, the big, maybe the golden orb sitting in the middle somewhere, but other spiders might be occupying what looks like the same web to me. Does that happen sometimes? There can be a number of things. I mean, she makes a fantastic big structure, mm. um, strong, and what you'll get is in the situation is one of the things you'll get is that there'll be little males around the system. But what people often misinterpret as males is little kleptoparasites, little oh. silver dewdrop spiders, which are a totally different family. Yes, they were silver, in fact. So. Closely related to redbacks. Um, and these guys feed on the little bits of particles that she won't take down. Oh. See, the golden orb doesn't take a web down like a normal garden orb. Yes, they silver ones. They leave them up there for day in, day out. Um, but but you also get other spiders using the superstructure of the web to build their webs against and sort of make a bigger colony. But the golden orbs... You know, I saw a wonderful situation driving up to Binnenborough at one stage and just whole corridor above the oh, road wow. was just solid golden orbs. They were just using each other to, to bolster their, their structure. So, And they can be very strong. Now, something I've often wondered, and, and I don't know whether people have thought it through themselves, but you see a spider web in a particularly interesting spot, perhaps strung between two trees or between two things a long way apart, and you think, that spider's really small. How does it manage to get the lines strung across there? So, so how do they go about doing that? Did they don't, I imagine, throw it with a grappling hook across to the other tree? So how do they get the, well, that, the web across such a big span? The the um, one of the diverting momentarily. One of the the only occasion which Darwin talked about spiders when the ship was 2,000 miles from the nearest land and the entire rigging <laughs> uh, was covered with spider webs. And he went, how does this happen? So they were ballooning. They were, they were, letting, they were carrying themselves on the, on the air. And this is a function of the same process. When the little spiders sit there, they pull the thread out and it's got a little sticky drop on the end, so they pull it out until finally the wind lifts it. And then the wind will carry it to a point. And the thing is that spiders got to find corridors where insects will go through. Mm. So it won't be a, a tangle of trees. It's got to be an opening, right? Yep. Um, the best place is about head height, right? <laughs> Usually. So the um, so that she she puts the web out and it sticks. And I've seen situations out near Mount Isa, and there's no trees, but there's a golden orb, 
And I thought, how did she do that? And looked, and it's like 40 metres to the nearest tree. So they've just ballooned out the web. The web and pulled the, the web, web out until it's finally got there. The wind has carried it and finally stuck. Yeah, and then something. she sticks, and then that she, she reinforces that one, makes a little triangle, Once like, you've got make that a big one. bell dropping to the ground, and that that's it. She's away. Then she's got the she starts the radials and does the circles and so on. So it's a it's a um, amazing engineers. Yeah, it, they they're very capable of taking advantage of all the available space. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. Fascinating. Now let's let's go, uh, I guess, slightly sideways now into the world of spider reproduction because there are some very strange and odd ways that spiders reproduce, um, and some of them probably normally and regularly. But uh, in the spider world, the female is normally bigger than the male. Is that correct, or is that just some species? Normally heavier built. Okay. She's more sedentary, tends to be more functional. His process, once he becomes, he doesn't become adult until the end of his life. So okay. he's got to go the last molt. And then he goes looking for a female, usually hunting by scent pheromones. Um, and he can make a mistake, a serious mistake, a deadly one. You know, yep. wrong, wrong female and you're dead. So then he's got to go through a, a process of encouraging her to understand that he's not food. Oh, okay. Yep. And that's, a, that's a tricky process with spiders because they really have a discriminating interest in eating all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and once he's settled that, you know, the big golden orb has a tiny little male and she, he almost wraps like a nuptial fail around her to try and reassure her that she's, okay. she's that's her and then goes in but you know take the world I mean the, the, the scientific name for a redback is um, murderous widow <laughs> you know she bites and kills the male and she actually bites him he has to mate twice because he's got two peaty palps the reproductive structure okay, yep. he puts one in he flips over and puts his body into her waiting calissary the jaws she chews on him and he goes away at the end of that one, narrows his body up a bit to facilitate, cleans himself up, comes back and mates a second time, where she actually kills him and in most cases actually eats him. So we had we had an ABC crew here <laughs> some years ago when you know they wanted to film it and they said nothing happened. I said, well, I said there were five dead males hanging <laughs> like trophies in the web at the end of the night. Something so. happened. <laughs> So, so, in fact, the male's death is necessary for reproduction to occur? Not necessary, but um, certainly in the case the redback, it, at least, he, or he definitely gets into a very nasty situation. And with the funnel webs, the female um, goes into the what we call the attack position, head up, fangs open, and he goes in underneath her. So he has different mechanisms, hooks on the legs and so forth, and crosses his hands over his head and then goes in to try and keep those fangs closed yep. <laughs> while he goes deep underneath her and does the mating. And I've actually seen, you know, I was watching one in a vial one time. It wasn't a funnel web, it was a curtain web spider, and I got so excited I shook. That was it. He was oh, no. <laughs> She just went straight through his head and ate him. No second thoughts. Ah. So, yeah, so it's a precarious process. A pre- precarious the life, the, yeah. uh, the adult male spider, at least. But you said they only sort of go through that right at the end, yes. generally I mean, speaking. some of them manage to mate more than once. The tarantulas, I think, do mate more than once. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a precarious process, whatever happens, yeah. Look, it's amazing stuff. We could we could talk forever. Um, and I think, you know, we have to have you back sometime because there's so many spidery facts that we haven't gone through. But thanks, Dr Robert Raven, for joining us so much on the Museum Reveal podcast. Um, I certainly learned a whole lot more than I didn't know before and hopefully everyone out there did as well. And if you're interested in learning even more than that, well, follow the Queensland Museum on social media at QLD Museum or head to our website at 
qm.qld.gov.au. And while you're there, sign up for the e-news list to stay updated on absolutely everything. There will be show notes that go along with this as well, so you can find out a whole bunch of more information about the things that we're actually talking about today. And until next time, of course, stay curious. Stay curious.